humans, welcome back to the Being Human podcast. Your host Jenna here with another super awesome and fun episode. Uh, I was thinking about it too, uh, maybe this is technically start of season two. I don't know. I don't know how seasons on podcasts work and when that should happen, but I feel like we really rounded out with the birth family interviews in the last two episodes, and we're back on to a little bit more of expert guests episode. And actually, I'm going to reframe that because there are no experts, but super awesome guest and friend and fellow social worker and human eye adore, Jesse Gutierrez, is our guest on this episode talking about perinatal mental health. Jesse helps folks who birth humans deal with how much change and struggle comes from that whole process and how difficult it is because our society does not take into account any of those things anymore. And we talk, as usual, about, you know, how all of the various systems of oppression have kind of made that happen and why it is so difficult in our modern time to birth and parent and care for other little tiny humans. So, hopefully, this episode will be super enjoyable and super informative, uh, especially if you have birthed or raised or just care it for any other human. That is a lot, no matter how much you love or wanted to do that. It's still going to be really hard, and I think something that we hit on is the amount of shame within our culture around that just being as difficult as it actually is and if we could alleviate some of that shame and just be like yeah no this is hard because it should be right uh growing birthing raising humans um i don't think that should be easy uh, but we want people to make it look easy and therefore we want especially those who have birthed the humans to just bounce right back right like they're totally normal uh jesse talks about that there's a whole stage of transition that we have not acknowledged um, called matriescence, like a second adolescence, when you go from being a human who's just like yourself to a human who then grew one and birthed it, and then all of the things that come from that afterwards. But even if you didn't birth the human, just going from being solely responsible for yourself to now a parent that's responsible for another human, whether you were the one who birthed it or not. There's a lot, lot, lot of change in one's identity, let alone all of the bodily and hormonal and other changes. So we do talk in this episode, obviously, about a lot of different things involving parenting or people who parent or caregive for children, because Jesse and I are both cis women who identify with the female term mother or mama. We use a lot of that language, and I mentioned at the beginning that we're not meaning to use that language as those are the words and those are the only people or people who identify that way are a part of this conversation because it is not it is anyone who has birthed like i said or even adopted or just caregive for a child a tiny little human or even an elderly human just when you have to caregive 24 7 it's a lot right um, no matter how you came to that caregiving and so we want to make sure that everyone in the audience knows that we absolutely are including any human however they may identify who can like relate to any of these experiences but as we're trying to have like a flowy conversation between two of us we just decided to use those terms because like that's how we call ourselves and a lot of the conversation is sharing through our own experiences and so we're using the language that works for us but super want it to be known that 
that doesn't mean we are discluding and that like you need to use that language to describe yourself even if you are living through or been through some of these similar situations it's really important that we just use language that's important to us so when people are listening i want to make sure that they knew that's why we're using those terms in this conversation in the way that we are um but that we are not thinking that that is the way that everyone needs to communicate about this experience or how they identify through this experience and that again it is not um just about the person who birthed the human right like this experience happens for everyone involved in that process one way or another um so hopefully with that little disclaimer no matter how you hear it you can take a little nugget from this super wonderful talk about raising other humans and once again we're gonna end with the tagline of fuck the nuclear family we need community and i think the conversation here expresses that pretty darn well so enjoy humans welcome back to the being human podcast super excited to be here with my good pal and former colleague jesse gutierrez hello hi jenna well will you introduce yourself to the listeners with whatever parts of your identity that you would like of course my name is jesse gutierrez i am a licensed independent mental health practitioner, an LIMHP, and a social worker, an LCSW. I am a wife, a mama of two, and I identify as a social worker, which really to me is a helper. I love humans. I love hearing people's stories. I love just walking alongside humans and their stories and their journey, and I work as a private practice therapist. I own my own solo private practice and get to be a part of people's journey and I love it. Me too. That's really how I would describe it too. I just love being a part of like hearing people's stories Uh and then like oh my god do I get to be a part of it in some way? That's really cool too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I always feel honored and grateful for the folks that show up in my office that choose me to be a part of their story and I was kind of saying earlier, I feel like the people that find me are, like, we were meant to connect. Yeah. We were meant to be a part of each other's stories, so. No, I job. believe that, too. And, like, in the, that it's, yeah, they're all a part of mine, too. Like, I can think of so many clients over the vast many years in different settings that are, like, oh, like, you know, you'll never forget them for whatever reason. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's fun to think about. So, yeah, so we met. We'll just chat a little about that for a minute. Did we meet first on the foster care review board? I think so, yeah. Okay, because I feel like, I was like, did I know you through your work with, like, the youth before that? Like, but maybe it was just on the board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we met, was it five years ago? Good Lord. So it would have been, like, 2015, 16, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Time is such a weird thing. I know. With COVID. yeah. Yeah. So we met at, we were both volunteers at yes. the Foster Care Review Board, which is a voluntary board that reviews foster care cases and gives advice or Gives feedback. like feedback to the team, uh, which includes like the judge, everyone. Um, not like we, the, that board's going to decide things, but it's hopefully the purpose is to hold accountable like if they're not doing enough, right? right. To like right. just get the children what they need, where they need, or, you know, help identify barriers as, like, outside community perspectives. And we got incredibly lucky that our board was, like, 
randomly all social workers basically yes and matt who is like equally oh, amazing yeah so great and because you have to sit on another board as part of your training so all of us sat on a different board or two before and saw the dynamics when it was like a literal mix of the community yes, <laughs> a yes. lot of differing opinions and i was like wow the art i saw like an argument in mine oh, wow. it was pretty intense and i was like oh no what did i get myself into and then our board like was never like that no no so you <sighs> to be on the foster care review board it, you do not have to have a social work background or no. human service background they actually want you know any field any industry because they want different lens different perspective but yes we just got lucky I think based on schedules that our board was uh, predominantly social workers. So we were like-minded, had a lot of um, great, I mean, even though we were like-minded, kind of worked in different fields and had different ideas. So anyways, if you're going to volunteer your time, (laughs) be with people that you enjoy being around. And so we were lucky and did that together. And then we found out that we like literally live in the same neighborhood. Yes. And yeah, now we're like neighbors. Yeah, and now we're neighbors. And we were pregnant at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On our, on our board. And so we were both like, um, I just remember like one time we showed up in like the exact same outfit and we had like all the same snacks. Yeah, I was going to say we were the total we were snack like, queens because <laughs> yes. we were all prego. We nourish our bodies. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, can't believe it's been that long and all of those things have happened. I know. <laughs> Um, okay, I want to talk, because the theme of the day is perinatal mental health, basically. And so we're going to talk about humans who birth other humans, but mm-hmm. we're probably going to use the word mom or mother a lot, mm-hmm. not to, like, gender it up, but, like, mm-hmm. A, that's how we identify, and that's just, like, the language I think that is, like, going to be super upfront in our minds. But for the listeners at home, if you hear us, we're talking about any human who births another human and that process and what happens to the human person through the birth experience and then thereafter and all of that jazz but um we're gonna probably say mom mom mother motherhood all of these things um just as like so we don't have to constantly be like overthinking everything as we chat about it um but okay i did i'm so sorry i forgot to prep you for this but i do ask everyone just at the gate a simple, what does being human mean to you personally? And then that just will flow us into talking specifically about the perinatal experience. Sure. Well, as oh, being human, wow. <laughs> I know everyone does because it's super vague and broad, and that's the point, yeah. right? And so I always tell people, like, <clears throat> I say, you know, we talked earlier where some of the moms on that podcast, like, I think that we are spiritual beings, we are yeah. mammals, right? We yeah. are of nature, um, and we're real complicated totally. is an answer I would give. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the first kind of words that jump out in my brain when I think of just the human experience, I think of connection and I think of, like, evolving. So as humans, we are wired to connect to other humans. I think that power of just community and relating with others and you know I as a human remember that others are humans too and with that humanity is the freedom to be your own self and whatever that means and I believe we should all have that freedom to be ourselves and when I think of like evolution as it relates to the human experience I am a lifelong learner I like hate the word expert when people yeah. are like oh I'm an expert in this or I specialize in this which is great like I 
have training in certain things and certainly have clinical interests like I'm always learning like what I knew about trauma in the brain after graduate school is laughable compared oh. to like what I know now right <laughs> right so, oh yeah like, totally I'm, and that's not just like in my job but I'm always learning and I'm always trying to learn and grow and I'm always hoping that other people are growing and evolving and changing yeah no and that's like kind of we talked about why I think we do what we do too is wanting to help people in that process because it is so important to us like personally but also like hopefully that's what this podcast all of it is is like yeah like let's just keep growing through having conversations because I think that's so very human like you Mm -hmm. said we're um, social creatures and so like it's literally through our connections to each other that we learn and like we just happen to be species that navigates that through like this language process um and so I find the most learning I do honestly is just in these sort of like what I'd call deep talks or with people in my life um and yes you get those at trainings and stuff but it's like in the like talking with the people about that content that you really or for me I really like learn absorb understand yes like yes. all the things yeah it's more of that like level learning versus like the higher you know top down yeah that you may get at a conference and it's like hearing someone's story is we can learn from it but we can also like hopefully relate to it in certain ways yeah so we can definitely relate to perinatal mental health being moms yes. all of the weird stuff that happens <laughs> all of the stuff that you find out that no one told you about yes. <laughs> but so i'll let you start if you just want to you know maybe you can just introduce a little how you got into this very specific line of work yeah. and like what your practice is about and any other things yeah so um, I have a private practice that I have a specialty in perinatal mental health. I don't exclusively do perinatal, however, um, I just have a special love for that population and I'll kind of chat about how that came in. But then I also do a lot of trauma work and I'm an EMDR trained therapist, so I do a lot of trauma processing and working with folks on unhealed wounds. With the perinatal population, which a lot of people are familiar with like the terms postpartum depression, mm-hmm. postpartum anxiety, and I use those terms also. Um, but now we're trying to kind of lean towards perinatal mental health or perinatal depression. And really what that word perinatal means is anytime um, conception, pregnancy until one year postpartum. So these mood and anxiety disorders, sometimes we'll call them PMADs, so perinatal mm-hmm. mood and anxiety disorder, which isn't just depression and anxiety it's also you know there's perinatal OCD perinatal psychosis perinatal PTSD and perinatal bipolar disorder so there is a scope of all yeah. of those mood and anxiety disorders but you'll hear all those terms yeah. and they all kind well of and to that which makes total sense because uh our hormones yes. right and so like I don't think people understand hormones in the way that like one there's a lot that we like cannot control of how they're gonna like do what they do within us and so like an example of this too and then you go through a process like growing another human (laughs) inside you that like it's supposed to make them ramp up and down in different ways for that process right but like also you are just you on and so like it's gonna cause a lot of various like yes all of those things you just described um because hormones like kind of are in charge of all of the yes, things, right? Yes. 
Yes, we were kind of chatting earlier about this term of matrescence, which is sounds very similar to the word adolescence. So, which most people are familiar, like adolescence, right? We think of like, oh, hormones, and they're yes. going through so many changes, and it's this big transition from being a small child to you know being an adolescent. And so, matrescence really is this physical, emotional, hormonal, and social transition from just being a human to being a mother. And so we know that there's just so much change, like you said, in hormones, um, but also socially in our identity, in our responsibilities, in our roles. It's a really big transition. And there's, with, as it relates to hormones, there's really no way we can know what that will do. Because the hormones of birthing a human can change our brain chemistry. And there's actually really cool research being done about uh, brain scans on moms after, before and after they give birth and how it's changing their brain chemistry. And I say that because if you have one of these perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, it is not your fault. It it says nothing about your strength or your ability to be a good mom or how weak or strong or whatever you are. It's just... Um, part of being a human. Yeah, that's what I mean. We're, there's so much that, like, we have stigmatized that it's like, oh, my God, you have no control over that. Like, you do, you have no control over your genes and, therefore, the makeup of the hormones in your body. Like, that's literally, like, your genetics. And you right. just get what you get. And, like, it get however. And then, yeah, these processes will be affected by that however. Exactly. And, like, you couldn't have done anything to, like, prevent or change that. But, like, society, right, creates... Like, a lot of mental health is seen as, like, oh, like, there's something wrong with you, as opposed to, oh, yeah, it's really hard to, like, adapt to this part of your life. These societal expectations, like, the things that you're going through in this transitional phase of whatever, right? Yes. Um, So, yeah, normalize, normalize, normalize is just a part of the process, unfortunately. Yes. It's tough. It is tough. And that is, like, one of our go-to sayings in my office, which is, it feels hard because it is hard. Yeah. And that just really means, like, it just doesn't feel hard for you because you're not strong enough or you're not good enough or whatever the, you know, stories that we yeah. tell ourselves. It feels hard because it is hard. Yeah. It's hard to raise and grow a human and go through these big, big social, emotional, physical changes. Yeah. And I would, to that point, do you see a lot of what maybe contributes to the the difficulty of mental health for like women and humans in this stage is like also that like lack of collective wisdom that we've lost because I know as a mother on my first pregnancy there was so much where I was like no one told me this was gonna happen or like this is normal or like what how do we women have been giving like we're only here because we give birth all the time why don't like I know more and I'm someone who is like reading the books you know I'm like doing a bunch of my own and it felt so weird to, like, not have that collective knowledge be so, like, graspable before that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that what just goes along with the stigma of mental health in general. But a lot of people are, for lack of a better word, like, trained or groomed to not share about their yeah. hard times. Or they don't want to complain. Or they're given the message, whether it was from childhood or society, of, like, pull pull your big boy pants on, pull mm-hmm. your big girl pants, whatever, and just keep pushing forward. and Grind, 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 grind. Yeah, yeah. And so we, I mean, we as mental health professionals know that that is not a good long-term solution <laughs> to healing your wounds or 
you know, certainly doesn't validate your experience or your feelings. And so I think so many people, they have this shame. And that shame turns into this story that they equate to their goodness or their ability or their value. And it really has nothing to do with that. But if we don't talk about it and the... And we don't hear other people's stories yeah. and we think like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? Why is this so hard? Um, and so, yeah, I think even just like through this podcast, through the literature, like, luckily there is a lot more discussion around it. Oh yeah, I would say than, second child. Like obviously I've been through it, but also I just, I saw way more of those conversations around yeah. me. It was like definitely more in the zeitgeist of like, Right, society. Yeah. Um, but my, so I, Marcos was born in 2012. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, just like in 2012, that's where my context of like feeling like, why don't I know more was coming right. from. I was like, I felt like weirdly in the dark. And also, in my circle of friends, I was the first one to like have a child. Uh-huh. So also like no one in my group was talking about because no one was like doing that. Yeah. So that was a part of it too. But yeah, it definitely felt different. In 2018. Yeah, which is good, right? Like, we're having yeah. more conversations about these realities that are common. They're yeah. not abnormal at all. I wanted to share a little bit about, yeah, my yeah, tell me about yours too, and kind of how we got here for myself. But so, my first child was born in 2018. At that time, I was a licensed therapist, I wasn't doing the perinatal work yet. I had been working in the public school system, Ralston Public Schools, who I love, and this project with the Buffett Early Childhood Institute. And it really, like, they really knew and understood that if we invest in moms early, then we are investing in our school age children, we're investing in our older children, and we're investing in our community and our society as a whole. And so this program really worked at helping starting supporting moms in their pregnancy knowing that these students are going to be going to our school or elementary or you know so on and really focused on that infant mental health and maternal mental health and through that I learned a lot about just I was really interested in birth stories and I wasn't yet a mom and then later on I got pregnant with my first and I felt like I was like a pretty resource person like I was a licensed therapist, so I understood about anxiety, depression, and all these things. I had a partner. I have family support, things like that. And I really struggled postpartum. I had really bad postpartum anxiety, undiagnosed, untreated. I had uh, severe intrusive thoughts, lots of worries, lots of what-if spirals. I really, really struggled with going back to work and leaving my baby. I had a really difficult uh, breastfeeding experience, which is also one of the risk factors for prenatal mood disorders. But I, I, so I had a breast reduction when I was 18 and they told me when I was 18 and I didn't care because I was 18, but we're going to sever your milk ducts and this could affect your ability to breastfeed in the future. Well, when you're 18, you do not care. And didn't think about it. And so I knew that was a possibility, but it's just kind of like a wait and see. You don't know until yeah. you're there. So anyways, my nursing experience was I could only produce 50% of daily feedings for baby. I had went to six lactation consultants, which that was in the very early stages of my postpartum 
life and if you remember that oh, time it's so you're hard. bleeding you're in pain you're yeah. tired everything hurts you're not yourself yeah. you're in this fog so even like making the appointments getting yeah. there usually with baby because you have to show them how baby's latching and yep. all. so i mean i'm glad i didn't give up but we went finally we went to this person at milkworks which i give big oh, shout out to milkworks. milkworks heck yeah with my second because the first milkworks. one was so hard i went to that mom group yes that was yes. My, yes yes yay Free milkworks go to milkworks they just have for the support free, yes, yeah they have a i was so scared with my firstborn i had these intrusive thoughts that i couldn't go anywhere because i in my very irrational unhelpful thoughts my head was telling me i am not strong enough i was would not take my baby to target because if a perpetrator came for oh, us yeah. i felt so weak that I couldn't, like, I, so yes, I would And if you think about, that is so normal in the sense of. I have to protect this freaking baby. And you should, you aren't, you aren't supposed to be alone with it, right? If we lived in a normal, healthy, communal society, first of all, you would be surrounded by, like, a lot of other women. Yes. But, like, you wouldn't ever go alone with your, yet, in your state or with this baby. Right. Like, wolves. A pack of wolves yeah. would never leave the mom alone yeah. with the babies. Right. So, like, they'd stay around because they would Protect, know, yeah. like, that's well, a part and of that's, it. So it's normal to have that, but yeah. in our society, you right. think you're crazy. Yeah, well, mother and the mother, right? Yeah. So a lot of cultures, like in Asian cultures and Latino cultures, they have, like, 30 to 40 days yes. where they are mothering the mother. The mother is not allowed to, like, well, they are allowed, but yeah, they yeah. are given They're cared food. for. They're cared for. They're nurtured. Yes. They're allowed to recover from this really big birth experience. Yeah. Their body can rest and recover and be nourished from the inside out. And we're yeah. just not given that as a society yes. in American culture. Yeah, I, I, yeah, specifically American culture. I want to reiterate to the listeners that like literally every other industrialized, I'm not yeah. saying every other around the globe, but all the big ones, all the big players, everybody gets this in some form. In mm-hmm. France, for example, my brother's best friend birthed her first baby there and exactly the government came in and said you don't get up ma'am i'm gonna do your laundry you just snuggle that baby wait what diaper change let me do it you want a nap nap friend like that's the government yeah like and and that's what they do in france and her husband could stay home like right they have leave yes and so it's just like wild here in america that we literally don't have anything to support right like even the mom to stay home right the baby let alone if there's a additional support yeah, yeah 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 so all that to say my postpartum experience a lot of anxiety a lot of intrusive thoughts and I remember when I finally got at what I call like the fog when it got to yeah. the other side and I felt a little bit more like myself I remember thinking this is so hard for me this is hard for other people too because I know yeah. I have support. I knew about post, you know, all these yeah. things, and I like it does not discriminate. Yep. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. so I wanted to learn more, and that's when I well, I also had a six month old. I again was really struggling with being back to work, and I knew I wanted some flexibility. I knew I didn't want to be a stay at home mom because that is the hardest job. Yeah, yeah. I knew I wasn't equipped for it. Shout out to, like, stay-at-home moms. Yes, seriously shout out to you because I literally mean I I couldn't do it. Not like, um, but, like, yeah, because it's hard and it's draining and, like. It's such a selfless. It's, yes, I, like, I am enough, I can care for others and, like, my, being a therapist is social work, but when it comes to, like, full-time caregiving like that, that is a whole other deal that, like, yeah. So hard. Yeah. 
So, yeah, so I started my private practice right when that little baby was six months old, oh. and I just knew, the, really the goal for me was I want to work with folks that I are within my clinical interests that I can support, that I enjoy working with, but I also want more time with my baby, yeah. and so that has given me the flexibility to do that, and I took some advanced trainings on maternal mental health, and so um, Postpartum Support International, PSI, is a wonderful agency that they do a lot of trainings for providers, but then they also have a lot of resources, free resources for moms and families. They have weekly free online support groups for a variety of maternal mental health issues, whether it be um, you know, postpartum depression, anxiety, there's one for NICU mamas. There's one for dads because dads also can get yeah. postpartum depression. <clears throat> and there's some, they also have a, a hotline that you can call, get connected. So there's a lot of great resources through PSI. But that's where I got my training and really just kind of dove into learning more and how can I support moms. And our community is awesome. There are, um, I've gotten connected with a group of other perinatal mental health therapists and we have a monthly consultation group where we get together and we support each other and especially with the hospitals and um, our prescribers so if somebody is pregnant or postpartum I always encourage them if they're looking at mental health support to try and find somebody who has that specialized training in perinatal mental health it's not required um, but I was gonna say yeah I think a lot of women um, and I'm one of them even, like, it's going to be your OB, probably, that you're going to at least engage with first, right? Yeah. A, because you have to see them afterwards. Um, and I know any of my friends, like, that's where their mental health med journey usually started, yeah. was, like, with their OB, um, prescribing something for postpartum or whatever. Yeah. And I'll say, I was, like, I had it with my first, and I she prescribed me, and I had such a weird my own bullshit, even though I'm, like, a provider, yeah. I, like, never picked it up. Because I did the, like, the, I yeah, the weird, I'm, I know I'm supposed oh. to, you know, Catholics, thank you for that. Like, <laughs> suffering is virtue. I don't know. Yeah, I had a real hang-up on, like, no. <laughs> I don't know. And now I look back, and I'm like, poor baby girl, you should have got that left the bra. not yeah. struggled through. Yeah. And I am medicated now. I yes. guess, uh, for various different things, ADHD and whatnot. Same. But, like, yeah. So, I mean, again, we all, like you said, it knows no boundaries. Yes, we all get affected, no even if we know. And... Um, and it's just, yeah, it is hard and there's no shame and wherever your point of entry is, but yes, I would also shout out, but if you want mental health meds, transition to a mental health medication provider as quickly as you yes, can from any yes. other person. OBs are a wonderful starting port and luckily they, so, uh, the, the group that I consult with, we have a lot of great contacts at the birthing hospitals in towns and so they are, they're pretty, they're knowing that they need to refer out. So they're yeah. knowing like they're the great starting point to get someone started with something. But there's and if you're looking to get on on medications or if that's something that has crossed your mind, somebody who has that training in perinatal, because there are actually a lot of medications that are safe to take during pregnancy yes. and breastfeeding. But providers who do not have that additional layer of education are very cautious, which yeah. is great, right? Like we should be protecting the mamas and the babies. But um so it's just good to get that like firsthand yeah. evidence-based current information yes. from 
a prescriber who has that parent. Well, and I'll just say to the audience, I don't know, you can maybe validate or invalidate this, but I have found anyone I've worked with who has gone to, like, their general practitioner, their OB, the only thing they are prescribing you is SSRIs. SSRIs are not a catch-all for everything, guys. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they're really hard and difficult and, like, you don't want to go on that journey necessarily. If you don't know, it's going to work out. And so, like, this is the other reason, whether it be perinatal mental Mm -hmm. health, but you want a mental health med provider because SSRIs are antidepressants, Lexapro, Prozac, Soloft. A lot of times they're prescribing these to people who are anxious. Yeah. Yeah. I do not know the rage that I will feel every time when someone tells me they're anxious and they got prescribed an antidepressant and it's like, what are we doing, Mm -hmm. my friends? This Mm -hmm. is not going to be helpful at all. So that's the other plug for, like, finding mental health providers eventually because, like, a lot of these other, like, they literally just prescribe SSRIs. I think that's, like, the only mental health medication that they're, like, aware of. Yeah, and I will say I love our OBs that come across my, you know, office, but a lot of the, when I see mamas coming in on something that's been prescribed, it's often not a clinical, like, therapeutic dose. Yes, also so, that. And so then the mom is thinking, this isn't working for me because I'm all the negative thoughts and shame. And yeah, whatever. yeah. But it's like, oh, let me get you paired with one of these, you know, prescribers that I know is really well-educated in this population yeah. and perinatal and will get you feeling better. Because, and that is what we always say. So, Perinatal mental health disorders are treatable. Yeah. They're often, um, you know, not going to be a lifelong issue for you, but with help will get you feeling better. Yeah, totally. So you opened your practice. And then how did it go from there? Well, it went good. (laughs) Here we are four, a little over four years later. Uh, No, I love the work that I do. It's allowed me to have that, that balance and that flexibility with my kids and with, you know, staying in the field and with the population of folks that I love to support. I did have a second baby, so I had a pandemic baby. And (laughs) uh, she, because I had that first experience with, anxiety with my first I knew that put me at risk for a second bout of postpartum anxiety and so during my pregnancy I did start off first with my OB and had said you know in order to prevent and prepare because also with the medications that I was interested in they take six weeks to work yeah yeah, and it kind of build up in your system and so I was like I want to get on this now so that when I am postpartum hopefully it can support me in the way that I need and so uh, I did some of those things just to kind of prepare for my second experience and my second experience was a lot different I think there was probably a lot of reasons like when you have a second uh, yeah. everything is not as scary. Yeah, you've been through it before. So in that of itself, that, yeah, you're less like, what, what? is this yes. normal? And you're like, yeah, this is yes. normal. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but I definitely did a lot more things just to prepare for that postpartum experience, knowing that I wanted it to be different yeah. and feel healthier, feel more like myself. And so luckily that was the case with a second and she's now two so oh, and they're so cute oh, thank you and I love your your eldest I remember you saying she's like super into spooky stuff oh, yeah, the, just... I, that's mine too my four-year-old the one that was born around the same yeah. time he's also very into everything spooky we are a spooky family <laughs> yeah. that's what we say <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he loves any it's it's not just like a 
he doesn't like Sonic. He likes creepy Sonic. Oh, yeah. Or not just Mickey. It's creepy. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Oh, yeah. And so, um, with being a mom and the postpartum experience, yeah. like, how much... Do you because we kind of talked about this again? Like, also, okay, in our culture, there's like all of the weird nuclear family structure that creates the weird gender domestication yeah. dynamics, and how quickly, usually, the birthing mother has to go back into then also like managing the entire household, yeah. and how that like can maybe contribute to. I mean, if you if you are already anxious or mm-hmm. depressed from the postpartum stuff, and mm-hmm. then like. Uh, you're expected to do all of the things. Right. I imagine that makes them feel also equally as like, oh, I'm not good enough. Right. Yeah. I think this is definitely, well, so what's interesting is working with this, you know, perinatal population and then also being in the thick of it myself is, it's all relatable to me. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I think as, Luckily, there is more conversations around these topics. I think, like, you know, certainly for, like, my mom's population, there weren't terms about the division of labor or the emotional load of parenthood or things like that. And, you know, certainly not, like, in everybody's vocabulary. But it's definitely something that I chat with my, my clients about. So a lot of the mamas that come in are overwhelmed. So they've birthed this baby. They feel like maybe they've gotten over the fog and for some of them, maybe they've returned to work and they are feeling like, you know, I'm having a hard time being a good worker. I'm having a hard time being a good friend. I'm having a hard time being the mom that I want to be. All of these things, all of, you know, these expectations. And again, like this is a huge societal transition. Yeah. This mat- matrescence, excuse me is just a really really big shift and it feels hard because it is hard and so a lot of the conversations that I'm having with the women that come in my office is kind of what we were talking about before which is a little bit of just these societal expectations like we are not better equipped to do these things just because we are women I tell my clients a lot of like, you know, what would be comfortable for you? What is, you know, and so we talk about, there's actually this really, really, really good uh, book and podcast and now documentary called Fair Play by Eve Rodsky. And so she started off as a book and then uh, a podcast and now the documentary, which is just an hour and a half on Hulu. So I often recommend it to folks because it's easy to watch, but it really focuses on the division of labor within a home and talks about like all of the tasks that have to get done as a part of this family. Yeah. And they are not gender-specific tasks. And so it talks about how can we divide these in a way. It's not about being 50-50. It's not yeah. about having yep. that. I think that's the common mistake, too. I find, because uh, I also talk about this with clients, whatever stage they're yeah. at in, or if they have children or not, right? Yeah. Um, and it's like... There's this idea that it needs... Because I think that's a misconception of feminism in general. We don't want to be like men. We want to be, quote-unquote, equal. It doesn't need to be 50-50. No, you just need to, like, communicate. Yes. So it's, like, divided in a way that feels... Feels comfortable. Comfortable for everybody, whatever that may be. And that might be that the, 
you know, female identified at birth human with the estrogen <laughs> does a little bit more, but the estrogen and being the female identified at birth does not like make you inherently nurturing. Right. And that's the misconception. Like estrogen guy doesn't it's not the nurture it's just a hormone. Right. And it just makes our hormonal cycle twenty eight days and like testosterone is like what? 24 hours or so. <laughs> you know, like, that's what, it's like they uh, identify weird virtues, like, or at least mm-hmm. I think that's what American white supremacist culture did with, like, gender binary, is, like, attached the, one, created a gender binary, but also that, like, it means you're inherently this, and yes. it was, like, and so then if you're a mom. If you're a mom, if you're, you are kind. It's like, yeah, but that's a, that's a woman or yeah. a female, and it's like, no, that's literally a skill Anyone can, it's a skill, first of all. It's not like an inherent human quality, for one. Like, it's a skill Mm -hmm. of care that can be learned for sure by anyone, but like. Yeah, that, I had a lot, I remember talking a lot about that with my first one of like, I don't just like inherently know how to like change a diaper. Right. Because I'm a woman. Right. Or whatever the thing, right? I learned that. Yes. Well, and I think that is really validating for a lot of moms to hear because I think there is we see on tv or movies right like after I get I'm just naturally bonded to this baby and I naturally have mm-hmm. all this inner wisdom and intuition and for some people we do or you yeah do, and that's yeah what we do. but for some people we don't and that and it's like I just met this human and I'm getting to know you and I'm getting to know me as a mom yeah. and I'm learning these things and it's okay if I don't have this you know, instant, crazy intense bond or knowledge of what to do. And so... Yeah, they literally have to show every human who takes the baby out of the hospital the don't shake a baby video, because guess what? If they didn't, more and more men, women, non-binary, whatevers would shake a baby, because again, it is 24-7 caregiving of another living creature, which is what human babies are for the first, like, three years is overwhelming for anyone, like, let alone a nuclear family without a community around it, right, or supports within its society around it. And so, yeah, like, in America, parenting is really, really, really difficult, actually. And that's okay if it's hard for you, because it's hard. It is hard. Yes, it's so hard. And, yeah, I think that as it relates to just like the division of labor, right? It doesn't have to look the same for for everyone, but it's deciding within that family unit. Like what's comfortable for us? What could you take on yeah. and I, I take on? And really, I, you know, we are not perfect in my house by any means, but my husband and I, who he's really good at like jumping on board with these ideas and new bits yeah. of information that I bring home, but we've really just tried to change our language in how we take on tasks in our home, like, you know, if he does the dishes, it wasn't like, oh, I helped you do the dishes. Yeah. Because then that assigns it to me that it was my responsibility that you took on. No, yeah. I helped the family and I did the dishes because every day they need to be done and yeah. someone needs to do them. And just because I'm a woman does not mean that they are tasked to me. Yes. And so we really try to just be mindful about that language, which is a lens shift from like certainly how we grew up, which is like oh, the moms yeah. take care of the mom tasks and the dads take care of the lawn and the, and that's fine if you want to 
do those things yeah. if you enjoy them, right? Totally. But like, it's sh- it it should be a conversation, or it can be a conversation. Yeah, because I think even there's just tasks. No, like dishes, laundry. Those yeah. are like the like most mundane, frequent things, and it's like no one likes them because they are mundane and frequent, right? Yeah. And so it's even of like. This week on, that week off, just so you guys have, like, the, yeah. like, right spontaneity of it's not the thing you have to do all the time or whatever. I, my, a lot of my practice is, like, guess what, guys? You can literally do whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there are no rules. And, yeah. but it's so hard to forget that when we have all these weird, like, societal norms that make us think that there, yeah, are rules. Like, even, I think, with women or, uh... There's a, a, the assumption that we're nurturing, but also because that assumption is that, like, every woman has obviously held and cared for a baby before they became right. a mother. And it's like, no, some women never are babysitters. Right. Some women don't have younger siblings. Right. Some women go their whole lives until they have their own baby and they've never changed a diaper. Mm-hmm. They've never held a baby. Mm-hmm. So even the, like, oh, my gosh, they're so fragile and little. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Like... The assumption that, like, every woman has experience with a baby before is, like, a wild one to make. But that is, like, I feel like kind of where that comes from is, like, well, of course you have, like, because you're a woman, right? Like, it's like, no. Like, that could totally be an experience they've never had. Yes. And then that's why part of the, like, having a baby is new to them is it's literally new New. to them in, you know, all of the ways. But, like... That is, like, not what people think, you know? No, And, yeah, I mean, not to, like, hate on any men, and certainly not my husband, because he is a great dad, but there are so many things that he does that are basic parenting that get the over and above praise. And, like, he deserves it. We all do. Yeah. You know? Um for, you know, he takes the kids to the park. Oh, he's such a good dad because he did. Yeah. He is a great dad, but like for a lot of other reasons than. Yeah, but I took him to the park like, like five times this month. Yeah. He's one. So yeah, <laughs> can I get it? Yeah, exactly. No. Um, well, Amy, I was, it's not men. It's the patriarchy and what it does to men, yeah. right? And the expectations of men. Because even like my partner, I've had to have a conversation where division of domestic chats is great. We're keeping up with the things. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, you know. Mama likes a little romance. Yeah. Right? Mm, okay. And he'll be like, oh, my God, but I've been being so romantic. I'm like, no, no, no. That's, like, just living your life. Buddy. Yeah. That has nothing to do with our romantic relationship. That's, like, just, again, we just got to take care of the house. We got to take care of the house. Like, yeah. you know, that isn't. And, but, like, I see that. I That's come up not just with my partner. That, again, that's a patriarchal construct. Like, I'm being a good man. Like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. and it's like, no. You're just being a normal adult. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. you're just taking care of your adult responsibilities and like romance would be like x y and z whatever you specifically are and some people don't want romance right um but i think that's a weird patriarchal norm that bleeds into the you women are like you're better at this or that or whatever or all of those things that conflate people because i do a lot of work with just intimacy issues. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting everyone after the postpartum, after the prenatal. We are, you know, kids are old enough now that we're like interested in our like intimacy again. Yes. And it's a struggle because it's been like so much of the caregiving and the focus yeah. there. And I think that like husbands like ours who are really in tune and willing to learn and grow. Like, it's even that the stunting, though, because it's, like... But, again, they want a badge of honor, mm-hmm. and it's, like, oh, no, no. Like, that's just, like, the 
norm mm-hmm. just normal yeah just normal Basic adult. <laughs> and so then they struggle because like the intimacy piece is far more complicated on a lot of issues well that actually is a great question i think that kind of combines our practices sex education yeah. how do you feel about the impact that if we had a more genuine sexuality sexual health like mm-hmm. baseline of education for folks would that help with the perinatal mental health and like or even just preparing for that process like I would find that to be valuable information like everyone knows how to get pregnant mm-hmm. why don't we talk about this right well because mm-hmm. we don't ha- have good sex ed but like do well, you feel like that say, would... not everybody does know how to get pregnant yeah actually. yeah it's kind yeah, of yeah, yeah no, sometimes yeah. when I talk with folks and they don't understand fully um tracking cycles and things like that and I'm like yeah actually I wasn't taught that I was taught don't have sex until marriage yeah absolutely exclusively yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I think you know what I'm what I happen to see with the folks that come into my office is a lot of women after postpartum and they are approaching that six-week clearance appointment with their OB oh. and they are petrified yeah. and uh, a lot of just talking about you know what sex after baby looks like and on their terms right so it's so individualized but I definitely think when you are thrown into this experience with really feeling disconnected from your body because another human you're growing this human then I mean I don't know more vulnerable moment that I've had than when I was you know giving birth to an audience yeah and I was normally a pretty private body person and then all these you know and you're just exposed and out there and and then like I cannot tell you how many people in our family saw me bare chested because yeah, when they're over I was like I don't care yeah it's just you're sleep deprived the baby has to eat and it doesn't matter anymore but then you start feeling a little bit more like yourself but then your body's changed you've changed You're constantly caring for another person. So it can be really hard to even want to be oh, intimate. Yeah. I'm just thinking of the clients that I serve and kind of those early, early postpartum days. But also, like, there's other ways to build intimacy, right? Like, yeah. Um, and that's different for, for everyone. But, like, it's not just penetration oh yeah and that's like my whole deal oh my god like talk about people don't know about pregnancy or things oh my god no one knows about sex or sexuality like first of all I get so many people in here who are like oh my god like I'd like some more intimacy blah blah I'm like cool cool, cool. so like how'd it go like how do those conversations go I don't talk to the person I want to do <laughs> the intimacy with about the intimacy I want to have with. I'm like okay well let's start there like, I have to do so much with all of my clients, literally, like, um, healthy relationship and sexual health 101, which is, like... Uh, do you feel like it's, like, women feel shame with wanting pleasure? Um, no. Okay. No. Well, I mean, yeah, there's that's, an, like, shame for sure, right? But it's literally, like, no one like, even, no, like, understands, like, what sexuality is, right? So, like, I always have to do, like, the explanation of, like, first, when you're talking about your sexuality, exactly, it, penis and vagina sex, for example, is a sex act. Mm-hmm. You can enjoy that sex act if you would like or not, but when we're talking about 
sexuality, we're talking about who are you emotionally attracted to, intellectually attracted to, physically attracted to, and then like what kind of like physical intimacy do you really do you want like whatever right and so like you're you are emotionally attracted guys to all your friends that's why you're friends right so guess what your friends yeah part of your sexuality right 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 okay because you should actually have more intimacy in your friendships my favorite thing is there's a three minute loop of the beach scene from the new top gun maverick that you can watch over and over again for three hours. So my friend had it on her TV at New Year's just to be funny. But I love watching it because I'd go, oh, I wish I could hug you, bro. Me too, me too. Because they just like bash into it, right? Because like men don't, it's too homo to like admit that like you like your friends. You might even like love them. You might want to hug them once in a while, but God, but it's the shame around the gender binary and how you are supposed to participate in the gender binary that causes all of the inability to have intimacy because exactly it's like so now we don't even recognize that one our sexuality is this full encompassing thing of our overall health and well-being that we should make very important to us Mm -hmm. actually like it's how we connect with other humans so it should be a top priority because like again it's going to affect your friendships your romantic relationships if you want those but whatever kind of human connection you want so guess what even your kids right because a lot of times what i also find is society views children as an other of its own as opposed to just a smaller version of the rest of us and so we parent right or we have strategies of parenting or a lot of like that parent shame or the parent judginess Mm -hmm. is around like who's doing the best job but a lot of them are the parenting role for them is about creating the child that I want that mm-hmm. will fit into society mm-hmm. and it isn't around this is just like a small human I have like literally no control over who or what they are yeah. so, and I just need to care for them that so they can be yeah right yeah. and so then a huge part of our saying with the abstinence thing so when you make sexual health all about penis and vagina sex and whether you're straight or gay you lose a lot of knowledge about how you can genuinely and unconditionally lovingly connect with other people Mm -hmm. because unconditional love is it not having boundaries but it's like I'm gonna look at you as a human and I'm gonna let you tell me all the identifiers and words and labels for how you would like to describe yourself and I'm going to accept that Mm -hmm. especially from your parent I'm just gonna accept that again without question Mm -hmm. the rest of the world might question you but I shouldn't but, like, that's not a lot of the parenting strategies that we're raised on. <laughs> right. Or that are, like, Still out there. existing. Right. Right. And so, like, there, I worked with teens for so long because as a teenager, I was like, I know I'm not an adult, but, like, I deserve more autonomy. I deserve mm. more respect. I serve, like, my ideas aren't stupid. Like, my love for this person is real and meaningful. And you're, like, devaluing it by simply saying you're a kid. And it's, like... That relationship shaped my whole motherfucking life because mm-hmm. it was so impactful. Yes, I mean, yes. for a lot of reasons, she did die. But, right, <laughs> like, but that's why I feel like it's like if I could have had people who could have at least validated yes. that, like, oh, yes. I wouldn't have had to go through that process all by myself. So I was like, I will be the adult 
but is not an adult. Yeah. I'm just going to be like a grown human who's like, yeah, we're just, you're a human. Like, I mean, yes, your opinions are totally valid yes. and thoughtful and you are smart and your feelings are real and you say you love that person and you're 17, you probably love them as much as you know you have exactly. at this age. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's, what that's I very real. Like, she loves him or he loves her or whatever. They love, that is love to Yeah. Them. It doesn't matter that it's, what are they, like teenage love or whatever. Yeah, because your first love, love is still it's love. love. It's your first one. So, so yeah, it's like. That they know. New and you're yeah. fr- and it, like the first time I rode a bike was I great at it? No, but it doesn't mean I wasn't actually riding a bike. I right. was <laughs> right. Um, uh, but and also to that point, I think it's like so. Then there's these scripts, right? And so we have to follow the script. And I read this. I remember when I was pregnant the first time, and I was like, oh wow. But also, what resonated is a mommy blog where moms admitted like. They followed the script because everyone told them I was supposed to be a mom. Mm-hmm. And they had their children, and that's when they realized, like, oh, mm-hmm. I don't know that I wanted to be a mom. And and they weren't writing in the sense, of course, like, of course they worked through that and loved their kids and connected. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like a, and now I can't connect with my child or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, just, like, the shame around admitting, oh, maybe I realized after I birthed a child that, like, I really would have not... I would have rather been a child-free human. Yeah, yeah. Um, no one wants to admit that or talk about yeah. that. And I imagine how that contributes to then postpartum depression or anxiety, for sure. right? For sure, right. Like the what's wrong with me narrative. And I, I, I agree. I think even as far as we've come with a lot of discussions, there's not a lot of, like, in general, when folks, when women say, like, I don't want to be a mom or that's not in the cards for me, there's like an immediate like why why not yeah exactly <laughs> we can sit here and talk for days about how hard motherhood uh, is yeah because it's terrible here <laughs> there Jeez. Are so many things that i'd rather be doing some days but so it's like not accepted in society for a woman to admit or say out loud but like yeah oh why are we not allowed like for one, just the, like, freedom of your body, the autonomy yeah. of your body. Like, it is hell for some people, yeah. myself included. My pregnancies were hard. Yeah. And that's okay for people to say, I don't want to do that. But it's certainly, yeah, the, and a lot of a lot of shame there with, like, if I say that out loud and now I am a mom, what does that mean about me as a mom? Does yeah. it mean I'm not a good mom? Does it mean I don't love them? Does it mean I was never supposed to do that, right? And yeah. so a lot of that, I think, gets reflected into their value and their worth and yeah. can certainly intensify feelings of depression. Yeah, because, yeah, I read that. And I, like, didn't have that feeling. I actually was, like, reaffirmed after my first kid. I was like, yeah, like, I did want to be a mom. And and I was like, because, I will say, the script thing, oh, everything else in my life. I went to college. I wanted to go to hair school. I went to college because hair school was only for dropouts, right? So I went to college. I got the degree. I married a man. We got a home. And I was like, why am I not happy? Everyone told me I did the things. I would be happy and fulfilled. And it's like, oh, because those are not the things that you wanted to do. And so I had to like... That I get it. I get it. That was really hard to admit to myself, but and it was very scary to then blow up my whole life to be like, this isn't what I wanted, and I got to figure out what I want. Right. But oh my god, going through that, I'm way happier. And like, a 
it was weird that motherhood wasn't one of those things. I was like, oh, no, like, one of the things I was like, no, I definitely did want to be a mom because I wanted to be a mom, which was nice. Um, but also then, like, there are no rules. You can do whatever you want. And, like, building the life I wanted, even yeah. though it was really hard and scary, is really nice. But so the other story is, like, got back together with the dad after we had some time apart. And so we both did the, well, our kid needs a sibling. And I had said when we were – divorced I was like oh one kid also I'm good I used to think I wanted five. Oh, wow my friend or my childhood friend was one of nine and I just loved her home with all the kids running around okay yeah but then you become the parent you're like oh hell no I don't even know that you <laughs> but yeah so I used to be like I'm gonna have five kids on. um but so I was like oh one I never thought I'd be like a one kid but I was like one it's perfect yeah and then we were like yeah sibling and we both just talked about this the other night it's like okay okay and in reflection, do you need to give your kid a sibling? <laughs> ah, like, you know what? I think, again, we've kind of followed a script or, like, whatever. Obviously. Oh, my God. Our little Leo is, like, the little light of all of our lives. Yes. And we, like, love him. I, like, wouldn't take... But, like, I can own that, like, yeah. Probably would have preferred to be, like, a one-kid mom. Like, yeah. Uh, and I maybe had the second kid out of, like, someone else's weird sure. expectations. Um, but it's easy to, like... Also say that and, like, move on for me. Yeah, for me, yeah. I'm not saying that. Like, But, like, yeah, I'm just putting it out to the universe to, like, destigmatize anything. No shame if you're, like, oh, shit, maybe, maybe I, like, wouldn't have done this. But, like, again, like I said, uh, our little guy, too, it's, like, easy to then just appreciate what you have regardless of what yeah. you have it, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, and I <laughs> see that a lot with uh, the mamas that I support if they've had a rough, you know, maternal mental health experience with their first, you know, there's so much fear and worry about like, do I really want to do all of this again and go through this again? And there certainly are things that we can do knowing that they've had that experience to prevent and prepare for a better birthing experience or a better postpartum experience. But it certainly, yeah, can influence like, do I want to go through all of this again? Knowing how hard it was. Yeah, no. And I, it's so wild, I'll say. And then I will wrap us into an ending. But my first pregnancy, I was like, I'm going to birth naturally. And I, I was that bitch who was all like, mm, natural labor. I stopped drinking coffee. We always Man. say Marcos is like our pure baby because I was really into like, I'm not drinking coffee. I don't know. Anything. And I did birth him naturally. And it was like a fucking beautiful experience. Wow. It was like, ah, oh, like, but okay, second kid, I was all like, eh, I'll be fine. I did it the one time. <laughs> I just, like, just was so arrogant that second pregnancy. Like, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And then I got Braxton Hicks all the time in the end. Oh. So then I was, like, so chill throughout. I did drink a little coffee with him. <laughs> like, that's why I think he's our pure baby. I did allow myself, like, some coffee. Um, I didn't do all like the meditating you can and the drink reading. Coffee during yeah, right. I didn't know. Okay. Yeah, yes. Okay. And also, thank you because I didn't know these were things I was like, what? And uh, exactly again, I was just doing things that I was like told were like whatever. And uh, but I got Braxton Hicks with his, and I hadn't had any weird false labor, and so I kept thinking I was in labor, and I was like stoked because I like, wanted to get it over with. That last month is so like you're big. And I kept being false. So then I was like, whatever, it's never happening. Yeah. And so then when I was in labor, I was like, ugh, whatever, Braxton Hicks. So then I like almost had my kid in the car on the way to the hospital. <laughs> because also it comes four hours. 
beginning of like, are these Bracton Hicks to like him being birthed out of me? But also I was so freaked out. I was like, epidural, no! Yeah. And they, so they epidural me and he literally popped out 20 minutes after that. I was like, well, I mean, I feel like <laughs> Made it 20, but I didn't know because I was so, it was a totally different, I was so anxious really? and I was so like, and and I, and I think I was shaming myself because I was like, oh my God, you did it once before and you were like, so whatever, mother of the earth, chill woman. And I was like, not that the second time. Yeah. Like, but even the though labor you did part. it then, doesn't mean you have to do it yeah. again. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> I, I did. I had to like get over. I was like, you did the epidural, whatever. And like, honestly, you know, yeah, I was glad I did because I was like freaking out. I would have, I was like, I was able to push him out calmly, uh-huh. but everything up until that point, I was like a mess. So, I mean... But yeah, I had, I like shamed myself at first of like, you didn't do the thing. (laughs) But also I didn't prepare. I was so, like, I didn't prepare. Of course you weren't going to do it. You weren't doing any of the things you did the first time to like mentally prepare for that process. That is like a big deal. So Such a big deal. On me. But your babies are healthy. Oh, they're great. And happy. Yeah. So any final thoughts for our listeners, whether it be to plug more what you do or just like tell the mamas at home some inspiring words or? For sure. Well, I wanted to just share some of the like very basic tips that I share with moms. Love it. If you are pregnant or postpartum and you're kind of struggling. So these are just like basic. So one of the things that we always talk about is get support and that can look like lots of different things so asking for help from friends and family as we touched on earlier like it does take a village that you know that community is so important and so whatever that looks like for you whether it's your chosen family your birth family your friends whatever so asking for help connection is so important that postpartum period is so many women feel isolated yeah and we were talking about that support group at milkworks that was helped me with my isolation because i was scared to go to all these other places but i could go there for this weekly support group yes i didn't even talk i just brought baby i could nurse her there other moms were sharing their stories and they felt like my besties even though i didn't even talk yeah <laughs> no it, 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 it's amazing how exactly how comforting that mother yes. circle was and i will say for my first kid i went to the women's hospital i don't know because this again was 2012 but i would assume they still have it and again it was just sitting around with your babies yeah. literally just for support yeah. and then they would we would all just sit in a circle and yeah Chit-chat so and I do sucker. know for sure that UNMC, they have, it's called Lean In, and it's a free support group for mamas. I'm not sure if Methodist is currently running one. And then Postpartum Support International has the free online support groups, and they're hosting multiple ones a week. Nice. Um, and so if you feel like therapy is something that you're looking for, there are a lot of wonderful uh perinatal trained mental health therapists in our community i'm happy to help people get connected but there's also that postpartum support international has a local chapter so um nice you can look that up on the old google yeah um, well and i yes, believe I that i can that. do things like show notes audience okay we've okay. never uh, had this before but like i think what i can do is put links for things okay. if you send me like yep. the websites and stuff Perfect. that like i can attach them to the episode so if people listen they could go then to links to look up Perfect. those resources yep. so you yep. send me that stuff and listeners i will figure out yes. how to get it on here <laughs> yes and then we were kind of talking earlier about like the basics of just like being a human and i'm always reminding moms of that so nutrition eat whatever sounds good 
Um, I don't care if it's like Cheetos because that's yeah. all you can eat. But eat, you deserve to nourish your body and, you know, try to add some whole foods, some vegetables, some protein, some, you know, whatever, fiber, whatever it is. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't yeah. have to be all exclusive health, but just nourish your body. And your prenatal vitamins are doing a lot of heavy lifting for you. So eat the Cheetos, eat the yes, cupcake, eat the, eat the thing that can sounds have tasty. Coffee. <laughs> yes, and yeah, you can do all kinds. You can have coffee. I think you can have sushi, you can have yes. lunch meat, you can have, like, you can have a glass of wine. Like, there's so many things that, yeah, we're told are, like, terrible and in pregnancy and postpartum drink tons of water um drink always drinking water and then for that postpartum period everyone says you know sleep when the baby sleeps and that can be like really redundant and annoying what i really do i'm a big advocate for sleep with all of my moms i'm very protective of their sleep because we know that sleep is directly linked and crucial to our wellness and so what what we know about sleep and the benefits of sleep is larger blocks of consolidated sleep is better versus like short naps. So I always aim for, with the mamas that I'm working with, aiming for four hours of consolidated sleep. Now that isn't always sustainable because a lot of times our babies are waking up two hours at a time for feeds and maybe we're exclusively nursing, whatever. But it's a goal that we're aiming for. So that may mean breaking up if you have a partner breaking up your sleep into shifts and the person that needs to sleep the most is the person that birthed the baby and we're gonna have her go to sleep maybe really really early like that seven o'clock so you can get four hours of sleep and then wake up for that first feed whatever but aiming for consolidated sleep four hours of consecutive if you can and that's it yeah (laughs) and yes and birthing a baby is harder than whatever your partner's work or job is so again yes yeah you always in that first year are the one who needs more of the nurturing yes (laughs) you need need the nurturing you deserve Um, the nurturing yes so just keep that in mind if that comes up but thank you so much for talking about all things mamas and humans and growing humans yes yes i love supporting moms and I always do, for those of you that either you're our mom or you're a friend of somebody, but check on the mamas. Yes. So if you know somebody that is pregnant or just gave birth, just check on those mamas. Yes. Oh, mama and something I also say, you don't have to parent alone. Oh, my God. Uh, girlfriends, hang out together. If you have yes. kids, do it together. Whether it's when they're babies and as they grow, it's so much easier to, like, parent when you have, like, other children and parents around. Yes. And so... Uh, I'm just really needy, maybe, but I was always like, oh, hey, like, uh, you want to go, like, do that with the kids today? And it's like, oh, my God, yes. And it's like, why do we think we can't call each other? You don't do it the park alone. Yeah. Call up your bestie or whoever yes. and, like, yes. do it together. And it's just, it's more it's fun so for the fun kids, to start too. and stop a conversation <laughs> because you have kids that need you. But it is so much better than, yes, being yeah. isolated. So, yes. that connection so. is huge. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jesse. Thanks, Jessie. Jenna. Yes. Uh-huh. Bye, guys.